Good morning, everyone. You can turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We actually have two different passages this morning, so maybe at the same time you can also turn to, what is it, 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're going to see if we can uh, do a little flipping back and forth a little bit this morning. We are starting something new. Uh, we are starting, uh, looks like it will be about a five-week study on sanctification, and I'm excited about it. We've been preaching through uh, the Gospel of Mark, and uh, we finished that last week, and so uh, it's good to talk about what our Christian life looks like, and I hope it'll be a blessing for you as we, as we study it together. So I'm going to first read Philippians 2, verses 12 through 13. And then I have my finger in 2 Corinthians 3.18, and I'll read that next. God's Word reads, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Father, thank you for these words and what they explain to us about the Christian life, about what it means to be sanctified. We pray that as we study it this morning, that we would honor you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. As I mentioned last week, we finished uh, preaching through the Gospel of Mark. Mark, from beginning to end, was trying to show that Jesus was the true Son of God. The very first verse in the gospel was that this was the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And at the end, the angel is proclaiming that the tomb is empty. The women who were there seeing the empty tomb went away, trembling, astonished, and fearful. And we looked last week that throughout Mark, this kind of trembling astonishment, this fear of Jesus is something that happens very frequently to those who interact with Christ And suddenly realize that it is the Son of God who they've encountered. We spent 63 weeks in Mark. Well over a year. I hope that there was a moment, at least at some point, where you felt like you encountered the Son of God. I was trying to think about this last week. What were... I'm not sure that necessarily my favorite moments in Mark, but the ones that were most powerful to me. Mark chapter 2, when those men, the four men, take their paralyzed friend to be healed by Jesus and they have to tear the roof off. I, I think about that passage all of the time. Jesus looks at this man who cannot walk. Friends carried him across the entire city. Bits of roof all around him because they had to tear it off in order to lower him down. And Jesus looks at 
this man with these incredible needs and tells him, my son, your sins are forgiven. It's what he needed more than to walk to have his sins forgiven. And he did that so that we would know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. When Jesus starts preaching in parables, that first parable of the sower is amazing to me. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, that the actual Son of God was asking God, look, can we do this another way? Remove this cup from me. And then he has this qualifier afterwards, yet not what I will, but what you will. Seeing Jesus on the cross when the Father arrives to pour out his judgment and wrath for the sins of mankind. And then the resurrection, seeing that. Jesus claimed in the Gospel of John to be the resurrection and the life. And he proved that that was true by raising from the dead. I hope that there was some point throughout the Gospel of Mark where you thought that you had encountered the Son of God. And that caused you... To worship Christ. Today we're starting a topical study. I don't know what your experience is with topical Bible studies, but kind of the very conservative circles that I came from, especially the seminary that I came from, that's almost like a bad word, topical studies. You like don't do topical studies. In fact, it's even a little bit funny preparing for this. I realize I don't actually have any idea how to do a topical Bible study. All of my experience, had, all of my training was for preaching verse by verse. How do you how do you do it? I don't know. You read some books. You uh, read some articles. You hopefully get it all together. Uh, some of you might really be looking forward to something topical. Some of you might be like me. Like, man, you just kind of like going through books. Uh, regardless of how you feel, I do want to make sure that you know that preaching through books of the Bible is going to continue to be our normal here on Sunday morning. There are a number of reasons for that. God revealed his word in books, and so we study books. Going verse by verse helps you to ensure that you're interpreting the verses correctly because you always see them in the context of the verses around them as opposed to jumping all around constantly and, and not really knowing, like, am I... Do I have the context of this verse right? Going verse by verse ensures that we don't skip anything that is important. It would be real easy to not talk about maybe some of the more controversial things in Scripture. But when you go verse by verse, you eventually get to everything. It also helps ensure that we emphasize whatever the Bible emphasizes when you go verse by verse. If the Bible talks about any particular subject a lot, then we will talk about that subject a lot because clearly God cared for us to have that repeated to us. All kinds of pastors have been accused of having pet doctrines. Have you ever heard of that before? Pet doctrines. Their, their own favorite doctrines that they bring up over and over and over again, whether it fits the context or not, whether it's appropriate or not. That's usually not a compliment when you have a pet doctrine. It means you're, you're talking about it whether it's appropriate or not. I think that's a good term, pet doctrine. Just, just this week, I was thinking, like, we, we really do love our pets, whether 
they deserve it or not. And uh, this week I, I was looking at my dog. I was like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a picture of this dog. Like, why? Because I find my dog adorable. Basically, like, d- despite his constant behavior, I still like him. My favorite thing, we have a toy. It's called, we call it his floppy dog. It's just a long kind of plush toy. And he puts it in his mouth and he'll trip over it because it's too long. So whenever he has it in his mouth, he has to carry his head very high. And he walks around just looking very self-important. And I think that it's adorable. I like him whether he deserves it or not. Whether he needs to calm down or not. And it's easy to do that with certain doctrines in the Bible. Where we just shove them in every sermon. Whether we... Whether they deserve it or not. Whether they should be there or not. And so preaching verse by verse helps us to avoid that. We just focus on whatever God focuses on. But it is helpful and good and interesting to occasionally look at one particular topic in detail. And I hope that we will avoid, even in that some of the dangers that can come from not preaching verse by verse. I hope we'll understand these verses correctly that we reference, that we'll understand them in context. Plus, it's good to have, I think, a little bit of a break in between books. It's a helpful thing. So we're going to spend five weeks on sanctification. And we're going to start today by talking about what sanctification is. Which might not excite you very much, but if we're going to spend five weeks talking about this subject, it is important that we all mean the same thing when we're talking about it. And so sanctification has two friends that it always goes around with, justification and glorification. These are all very like theological sounding words, justification, sanctification, glorification. But it describes, for those who believe in God, it describes every aspect of the Christian life. Christians love to talk about justification. I think that's 100% true. It is is probably my favorite thing to talk about. Justification is the teaching that we are justified before God by grace alone, through faith alone alone. In Christ alone. Justification really is talking about the gospel. How we are saved. That we're saved by grace. Through faith. Because of what Jesus did on the cross. The doctrine of justification explains that we can't do anything to earn our acceptance with God. That by being a good person, that's not how we're declared righteous before God. That we can only... Be declared righteous because God, we call it imputed righteousness. God takes the righteousness of Christ and he gives it to us. So when God looks at us from a legal sense, instead of seeing however good or bad we are, which would be bad, right? Before God, we are all bad, sinful. Instead of seeing our own righteousness, when God looks at us, He sees Christ's righteousness. And so he can declare us righteous because we have the imputed righteousness of Christ. And God is able to do that because the penalty for sin was paid by Christ on the cross. And he's able to do that, or the the means by which Christ's righteousness, Christ's death on the cross is, is kind of given to us is through our faith in him. 
Not by being good enough, it's just by believing. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 is a perfect summary of this doctrine. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You probably are very familiar with justification. You probably like it an awful lot. You are very glad to have Christ's righteousness given to you. Halloween is coming up on October 31st. You all have been awesome bringing the candy. That box back there is heavy laden. Have you ever, it's, it's kind of funny being involved in a church that is so about Halloween. And we're not really about Halloween per se. We're about being involved in the community and caring for our neighbors. And we do, we do this thing in order to bless our neighbors. And, and I, think it's, I think it's really good. But there's, and maybe you're from this background, there are all kinds of Christians who don't necessarily participate in Halloween, who, uh, who might find it a little bit uh, uh, different odd, perhaps, that we are involved so much with it. Again, as a community event, I think it's a really fun and good thing for us to do. But there is something else that happened on October 31st, and if you are the kind of Christian who doesn't celebrate Halloween, you probably know And in fact, you probably have a whole different holiday in your house that you celebrate. October 31st is Reformation Day. Did you know that? You might have known that. Reformation Day. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. This was the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. This is, this is generally considered to be the moment when it began. Luther's 95 Thesis was a condemnation of the Catholic Church's excess and corruption. He was especially speaking against the selling of indulgences, which is but you, you bought something and, and the purchase of it was how your sins were forgiven. Which is kind of an amazing thing to teach. That literally your, your money is what buys your redemption from God. Interestingly, I didn't, I didn't realize this this week. The Catholic Church, until this week, the Catholic Church was in the middle of a campaign to raise money in order to renovate... St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, which is still standing today. It's considered one of the greatest buildings, probably the greatest building of the Renaissance age. It had already been built at that point, and they needed to renovate it. And so there was this new push to sell indulgences in order to raise money for that. And that was one of the main things that Luther was speaking out. He did that on October 31st. And so if maybe you have a hard time with trunk or treat at the sports park, you can just tell yourself that secretly, oh, this is just a Reformation Day uh, celebration. We're just glad that Luther did his thing and the Protestant Reformation happened. But the whole point of the Reformation was that justification is by grace through faith and not of works. It is not something that you earn. You don't earn your salvation. You you receive salvation through faith in Jesus. We love to talk about that. Christians also love to talk about glorification. The doctrine of glorification states that there will be a day if you believe in Christ 
when you will see God face to face. When you will enjoy the glories of heaven. You'll be able to meet your Savior. You'll be able to meet believers from all of history in heaven. And most specifically as it relates to glorification. Your struggle with sin will be over. In heaven you will be made perfect. You'll no longer sin. And eventually in the new heaven and the new earth. You will be given a glorified body. And that is how you will exist forever. So often we talk about God's glory, but the doctrine of glorification is referring to us, to you. You will be glorified one day. Not to the extent that God's glory exists, but God will perfect you. He'll glorify you. You'll be free from the struggle of sin. We love thinking about this. We love talking about this. One, you're struggling with sin now. You're struggling with all kinds of things. And it is comforting to know that one day we won't struggle with any of these things. We won't be in want. We won't be in need. We won't be imperfect. But we'll be completely free from sin. And we'll be living in the new heaven and the new earth. And it's so fun to think about what's that, what that's like. I was wondering this week whether or not we'll brush our teeth in heaven. What do you think? Will anyone have bad breath in heaven? Will that be a thing? It doesn't seem like it, but can you have good breath in heaven? Will there be like, or will you just, will you need to do anything in order to achieve it? Or will we all just have minty fresh breath all of the time? What about people who don't like mint? There are those people out there. I don't, I don't know what happens to them in heaven. Maybe everyone likes mint in heaven. That would make sense, I feel like. I don't know. There's all kinds of questions. Will I ever get to preach a sermon in heaven? Will we like, will I like call all of you in heaven and be like, hey, we're going to preach. We're going to get together and have a church service like back in the day, right? This will be great. And then I'll get there with my sermon prepared and no one will be there. And I'll come and be like, where were you guys? You're like, oh, uh, I just went to hear Jesus instead. I'm really sorry. Like that would make sense. I would forgive you if you did that. But will that even be an option? What will heaven be like? I don't know, but it's fun to think about. It is, isn't it? And we look forward to that. We look forward to both all of the good things that have been promised as well as the absence of bad. So we love it. Justification. Glorification. Sanctification is about the period of time after you were saved, after you were justified... But before you are glorified, before you make it to heaven, it's that in-between period where you are a believer in Christ who is on earth and not yet in heaven. It does not make us as happy to think about this. I don't think, at least. Not for me. And I think there's a lot of reasons why this makes sense. When we talk about sanctification, we are reminded about how slow we are to progress toward Christ-likeness. We look at ourselves and we think, that could be a little better. And then there's a temptation to look at other people and be like, why am I not as good as them? 
They seem to have everything else together. Social media has made this so much worse, where you only see the best part of everyone else's life. You see the pictures of their perfect family and all the fun things that you do. And you're like, well, my family is not that good, and I can't afford to do any of that. And how come my life isn't as good as theirs? But we're reminded about how, not only how slow we are to progress toward Christ-likeness, we're reminded what we ought to be but are not yet. Sanctification is hard. It's a struggle. We all know we should be more Christ-like than we are. And how do we, how do we get to be more Christ-like? It's difficult. There are all manner of things in life that we want to work on in our Christian life in order to be closer to God. And yet, despite the fact that we know that that's important and that we genuinely care about it, it's easy to just sort of coast through life, enjoying the things everyone else normally enjoys. Should I work on becoming a better Christian tonight or should I watch TV? Right? That's, that's an actual struggle, right? You could spend some extra time reading your Bible. You could spend some time in prayer, right? We talk about extra time, right? It's possible you get to the evening and you're like, oh, I haven't prayed at all today. I've not even touched my Bible. But there's a new episode of This Is Us on tonight, and maybe I would really like to watch that. I don't know. It can be a losing battle. But this is what we're going to talk about for the next five weeks is how do we engage rightly in that battle? How do we become more Christ-like? We're going to talk about some specifics, but today is, is just the, the general understanding of what sanctification is. And we, we want to talk about some of the nuts and bolts of sanctification. How does it work? And maybe most specifically, who does it? Who sanctifies you? Is sanctification something that God does in you? Or is sanctification something that you do by trying hard, by working hard at whatever the Bible tells you to work hard at. This is a question of passive versus active. Do you remember this? Do you remember this from English class? A passive verb versus an active verb? If it's active, it's something you do. If it's passive, it's something that is done to you. So I ate dinner is an active verb. I did it. I ate dinner. I was eaten for dinner is something passive. It happened to you. I know who you're hanging out with, but that happened to you. But, but that is the difference between something that is active and passive. So this is the question that we're trying to answer today for sanctification. Who is doing the sanctifying? God? To you? God is doing it to you? Or is it something that you are doing? There's all these commands in Scripture and you need to follow them. You need to do them. We're going to describe three key truths about sanctification that answers this question. Three key truths so that we would know what it means to pursue Christ-likeness. The first is that sanctification is internal 
and supernatural. Sanctification is internal and supernatural. Your growth in holiness and Christ-likeness is primarily something that happens inside of you. And it is something that happens by the power of God. Philippians 2. Trying to figure out how quickly that... There we go. Philippians 2 helps explain this to us. Philippians 2 verse 12. We're told that God... I'm sorry, in verse 13. That God is working in us both to will and to work. So in the process of sanctification, God is working. Right? This is why it's supernatural. God is at work in order to change our will, in order to change our desires. God cares about what we want. And that is part of the process of sanctification is God working in us to will the things that God wants. I don't know if in your house you have a philosophy of vegetables, but this is something that my wife and I have talked about frequently with our children. That's right. Philosophy of vegetables. Don't look at me like that. We strategized. We talked at some length about how we were going to make sure that our kids loved vegetables. My wife and I both had experiences growing up that were not necessarily the best for liking them. I was talking to Ange uh, just yesterday about how uh, it was frequent at her house. They would microwave frozen vegetables with lemon pepper on top. And it was in this, this like old school like yellow corningware container. You guys can imagine like the look of that, right? And you just frozen vegetables, lemon pepper in the microwave. And that's how she ate a lot of vegetables. And it was not the best. I had something different. But uh, uh, we, we ate a lot of canned green beans when I was growing up. And my mom loved salad with red cabbage. Oh man, we had so much red cabbage in our salad all the time. And I didn't, and maybe both of us, we didn't so much, well, sometimes we legit did not like the vegetables, but there wasn't a lot of craving for vegetables. And so we were talking about what can we do to teach our kids to like them? And the answer is pretty simple. Make them good. Make them good. We roast almost every vegetable in our house. You put a little olive oil, salt, and pepper. You put any vegetable in the oven at 425 until it starts to turn a little bit, a little bit crispy, a little bit black, and that vegetable will be better. Man, I even have a spreadsheet I can email you that tells you how long to put each vegetable in. So talk to me after service if you need a little bit of help with this. You can make them good. But we did this because we cared about what our children would like. We thought it would be an advantage for them to be like, oh, I like every single vegetable. God cares about what we like. God, it is God who works in you, Philippians 2 says. In you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Sanctification is changing what you care about, what you like. 2 Corinthians 3.18 tells us something very, very similar. That we are being transformed into the same image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. 
transformed. That is, the the Greek word for transformed is where we get the word metamorphosis. It is a word that means not just inward change, or I'm sorry, not just outward change. When I I hear metamorphosis, I I honestly think of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly, right? That's, That's entirely outward. But for people, it frequently refers to an inward change of character. That you, that you are being transformed into the image of Christ. That's what 2 Corinthians 3.18 is talking about. We are being, that's talking about an inward transformation. It would be silly for it to be talking about an outward transformation. What are we all literally becoming? More like Jesus in a physical sense. We're all getting long hair and a beard. Like is that, is that what's happening? Like no, 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 no. This is, this is talking about an internal character. We're becoming more like Christ. Romans 12.2 tells us something very similar. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So again, it's not just that we have to believe that being transformed is talking about something internal. It's that... Romans 12 even tells us that the transformation that's happening is in your mind. It is about what you're thinking about. It is about what you like, what you care about. Ephesians 3 and 4 is helpful for this as well. We're told in Ephesians 3.16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's what the Spirit is doing, is strengthen us with power in our inner being. Ephesians 4.23 says that we're being renewed in the spirit of our minds. Again, it's all internal. Sanctification is primarily something that is happening inside of you. Holiness, Christ-likeness, does not mean bringing your outward behavior in line with some kind of external standard. That is not what it is. You wouldn't need supernatural power in order to do that. Just alter your behavior. You need supernatural power. You need God to be involved in changing you because your essential and fundamental character, your heart, Your mind, your desires are what is being changed. And you can't change that about yourself. Imagine if you could. Right? We we try. You've heard the term fake it until you make it. You know, that's the that's the best way we know how to change our desires. Just pretend, act like I like other things, act like I'm a different way, and maybe eventually, ah, maybe my internal desires won't change, but at least my habits will be changed. What if you could just make yourself not like carbs? Bread, meh. Potatoes, no big deal. Sugar, I'll pass. Pasta, ah, zucchini noodles are just as good, right? there's There's probably any number of you that are trying to avoid carbs at this given date. And imagine how great it would be if you could be like, oh, I just don't like him anymore. Imagine how much healthier I'll be. I'd rather have 
chicken Alfredo on top of zucchinis. If anyone ever tells you that, that they'd rather have that, that person is a liar. Okay, do not hang around that person. You can change your habits, but you can't change your desires. You don't have the power to do that. You can, you can alter your behavior. You can get in the habit of doing something else. But only God can change you on the inside. Louis Burkhoff says that sanctification is not only reformation of morals and life, though it produces this, but essentially the moral purification of the soul. So it's not just that your outward behavior is being changed. It's that your soul is being morally purified. When you were justified before God, when you were saved, you were declared legally righteous. And when you're glorified in heaven, you will actually be perfect. But in between, it's a process. Justification happened all at once at a point in time when you were saved. Glorification will happen all at once at a point in time, at a, at a point in time when you die and go to heaven. Sanctification is the, is the different one here, is the black sheep. It happens over a period of time, over the course of your Christian life. We want sanctified desires and sanctified actions. As much as we talk about how so much of this change is on the inside, there is change that is on the outside. There is also a change in our actions, what we do. God, be, God commands us not only to behave righteously, but he commands us to be holy. And that's what we're trying to get at. There's a, there's a, little, bit of, there's a little bit of both here, where you can't just clench your jaw Set your mind and get down to the business of sanctification. Sanctification is not self-control. Sanctification is not self-motivation. It is not willpower. That's not what sanctification is. Some of you wish it was. You're very good at being self-motivated, at just trying hard at no matter, no matter what. Others of you are, it's a huge relief. Oh man, I don't try hard at anything. It'd be, it's very nice to know that there's a... There's a supernatural aspect to this that God is going to do it in me but sanctification is internal and supernatural that is our first truth about sanctification the second truth is that sanctification is a divine work of the spirit it has to be a work of God if it's supernatural at all but specifically the Bible tells us that it is the Holy Spirit's work to sanctify us, to change us into the image of Christ. We already read in Philippians 2 that it is God who works in you. So it's God doing this. 2 Thessalonians 5.23 tells us the same thing. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's God who's doing it. But... 2 Corinthians 3.18 clarifies this for us. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, is the last sentence of that verse. And there's all kinds of other verses in Scripture that talk about the role of the Spirit in our life. Galatians 5.17 
We're told to walk by the Spirit and will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Romans 8.12 says, put the deeds of the body to death by the Spirit. Galatians 5, trying to express positively what we're supposed to do, describes the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. This is what the Spirit of God is doing. So it's not, just, it's not just God in general, but it's the Spirit. That's the second truth, that sanctification is the divine work of the Spirit. The last that we're going to talk about today is that the Spirit uses various tools to sanctify the believer. Spirit uses various tools to sanctify the believer. This is actually a big question in Christianity today. If sanctification is an internal, supernatural work of the Spirit, if, if that's true, then what do we do? What do we do? Do we do anything? Is all of sanctification passive? There are all kinds of very sincere believers who would tell you, yes, sanctification is essentially a passive thing. It is something that happens to you, and it would be better if you would stop trying so hard to be sanctified. I don't think that's exactly correct, but again, these are, these are sincere believers, and you have probably heard this kind of line of argument before. There's a book by Tolian and Chavidjan called Jesus Plus Nothing Equals Everything. You might have heard that. He says, the gospel liberates us to be okay with not being okay. The gospel tells us, relax. It is finished. Because of Christ's work on your behalf, God doesn't dwell on your sin the way you do. So relax and rejoice and you'll actually start to get better. Henny Whitwell Smith says something similar. What can be said about man's part in this great work? But that he must continually surrender himself and continually trust. These kinds of words that are frequently used to describe sanctification. You need to relax. You need to surrender to God. You need to yield. You might have heard someone say you need to let go and let God. Have you heard that before? These are, these are popular things to say. And there, there's a sense in which they are biblical. Like we said, sanctification is internal and supernatural. You, there is a sense of this is something that happens to you, that God is doing it. In 2005, Carrie Underwood had a famous song called Jesus Take the Wheel. You might have heard of that. It was a very popular country song. And quasi-Christian song at the same time. I'm not sure that it was exactly a Christian song, but it did talk about Christ. It's about a woman who needs help when her car spins out of control, and ultimately it comes to encompass more of her life, where she's allowing Jesus to take control of her life. And that's kind of how we think of sanctification sometimes. I'm going to take my hands off of the wheel, and let Jesus put his hands on the wheel and do all of the driving, take me wherever I need to go, do whatever I need to do. 
And again, sanctification is internal and supernatural. It is true that God needs to take control of your life, as it were. But those are not the only verses about what you should be doing as a believer. Philippians 2 even told us to work out your salvation. This is not talking about your justification. It's talking about your sanctification. Now that you are saved, how do you live as you're saved? Philippians 2 tells you to work it out. Work it out because, Philippians 2 tells us, God is at work in you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5, through 5, really interesting verses. Listen to this. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And he goes on and on. But he's saying, look at these things that have happened to you. Divine power was given to you by God that pertains to life and godliness. You didn't do that. That was a supernatural thing. The Spirit gave you the supernatural power that relates to life and godliness. Man, I'm blank there for a second. The Spirit gave you the power that relates to life and godliness. The power of the cross is what helped you escape the corruption that is in the world. God did those things. And so now what do you do? Nothing because God did those things? No. Make every effort. Try hard. That is what scripture is telling you to do. Henry Skugel had an interesting quote on this. It is true Religion in the souls of men is the immediate work of God, and all our natural endeavors can neither produce it alone nor merit those supernatural aids by which it must be wrought. The Holy Ghost must come upon us, and the power of the highest must overshadow us before that holy thing can be begotten and Christ be formed in us. But yet... We must not expect that this whole work should be done without any concurring endeavors of our own. We must not lie loitering in the ditch and wait till omnipotence pull us from thence. No, no, we must bestir ourselves and actuate those powers which we have already received. We must put forth ourselves to our utmost capacities. It's true that God has done all of these things. But you must not, I love it, lie loitering in a ditch and wait until omnipotence pull us from fence. You don't just lie around waiting for God to do something, even though the Bible says that God is doing these things in you. It's that you need to to work at it. If you are struggling financially, we might have a conversation, right? If we were talking about this and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm short on cash, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know that God is a provider. I know that he cares for me, that he provides for the church. I'm sure that I'm sure that he's going to provide. Well, that's great. That's great. That's true. 
And I'm glad that you have that perspective. But also, what are you going to do to earn money? Because God could perform a miracle. He could put a million dollars in your bank account. Just bink, there it is. But probably he will provide through your hard work. That is the most likely scenario. It's true of all of these things. If you wanted to be a professional athlete, it's possible that God will just make you that good. But probably you will need to practice. You want to be good at school. You want a promotion at work. Whatever it is, God is changing you on the inside. That is true. But also, you need to work at it. You already know this is true in every other aspect of your life. As it turns out, it is true in your Christian life also. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us that we should strive for peace and holiness. Romans 8, 13 says, put to death the deeds of the body. 1 Corinthians 6, 18 says, flee immorality. These are the kinds of commands the scriptures give us. We are commanded to have something done to us. In sanctification, to be transformed. And that means that we need to use the tools that the Spirit has given us. We need to actively put ourselves in the path of those things that the Bible tells us to utilize for our sanctification. What are those things? What are the tools that the Spirit uses to sanctify believers? We're going to talk about that next week in some detail. But I want, I want you to think about this this week. There are two things happening with sanctification. There's the internal and supernatural divine working of the Holy Spirit. And there is you putting in the effort to pursue Christ-likeness in whatever way that Scripture commands you to. And again, we're going to talk about what those ways are next week. There is probably an area in your life where you are not trusting God enough. That it's entirely by your own effort. You almost never think about that area in your life in relation to God. You are not praying about it. You are not actively seeking wisdom from God. There's probably an area in your life that you have cut God out of and are only working on it. By yourself, And sometimes it's really important aspects of your life. Sometimes it's relationships with family members, your spouse, your children, extended family members. You're just kind of, there can be problems, there can be difficulties. And sometimes you realize like, man, when's the last time I really, really prayed about this? Let alone consistently, when's the last time you prayed every day for a year for those difficult relationships in your life? There's probably some aspect of your life where you are navigating it either entirely outside the realm of the working of the Holy Spirit or or at least mostly. And on the flip side, there is probably some aspect of your life that you are not working hard enough at in your pursuit of Christlikeness. You know that it's wrong. You know that you shouldn't be this way. You recognize problems in yourself. 
and it's just easier to live with them. To not care that much. To not do the hard work of seeking Christ. And so I'm going to challenge you this week to think about that. What area of your life do you need to involve God in more? Do you need to seek supernatural and internal change from the Holy Spirit for? And what aspect of your life are you just not working hard enough at? Do you need to put in effort toward? Probably all of us have something for both of those. The goal is to be like Christ. The good news is that you will be like Christ if you believe in God. If you have faith in his death on the cross and his resurrection, one day you will be made perfect. But God is calling us now to be sanctified, to be transformed into the image of Christ. And I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 3 because it's, it's talking about it as a process. Being, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Slowly but surely, from one glory, degree of glory to another. So don't worry if your degree of glory is very low. It's okay. It is a process. And you honor Christ when you submit to that process and seek Him in that. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for all that we have in Christ. Thank you that you sanctify us. And thank you that you call us to work at our sanctification. I pray that we would um, constantly seek to involve you in every aspect of our lives. And I pray that we would be willing to work hard in those areas where we are farthest from you as well. We love you, God. And we pray this in your name. Amen.